today we were supposed to kick off Romans, our study of Romans. I had I've been working towards this this overview day of the, the you know the kind of the ten thousand foot view of Romans and and was studying for that all week and and but kind of as the week continued, something started creeping in. And then yesterday, as we're working, it just it, it kind of wasn't creeping anymore. It was stomping, and then it was yelling like no something else, and then. Amber and I are eating dinner last night, talked a little more, and she's like, and I was like, I just, I'm going to keep listening. She's like, I think the Lord has spoken. I was like, I'm going to keep listening because I want to do Romans. Like, I, I've been working on Romans, and I'm excited about Romans. I haven't worked on anything else. And this morning, I sat down to, to kind of do what I do on Sundays to kind of just spend some time with, with, with the text and, and go through kind of the, the connective tissue of the talk. And, and it was just like, nope, can't do Romans. I was like, gosh. So, so that's out the door. So today... We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 1. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, under a chair near you. Feel free to use that. Uh, and if you need a Bible, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you. We'll also have verses on the screen. But today's going to be a little unique, and it'll possibly be a little challenging and hopefully greatly encouraging. Um, so, we're, so we're going to come to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. And, and as we do, some important questions that we're considering today is, is how are we to understand suffering? Another question, why does God let things like this happen? Or even more direct, and maybe more honest, did God cause this to happen? These are questions that are being asked maybe by you, definitely by those around you. The root of these questions reduced down to this. It reduces down to this. Is there a God, first off, and what is God like if he is indeed real? And then, if we acknowledge that, what is our response to that God? Because what's important is it is understanding God rightly and in the way that he created and why he created that we can journey this struggle, this trial, and the ones that are to come because they will come with peace. And that we can look at people in the eye that, have been, that are hurting, that are without, and we can look them in the eye and say there is hope. And we can mean it, that we don't have that tinge of like, oh gosh, I hope this is not disingenuous. Oh gosh, I hope that this is not trite. I hope it's not cliche. But that we can look at someone in the eye that has lost everything and say there is hope. We can look at them and say there is hope. There is hope. And we can mean it. It is answering these questions rightly that we can administer that grace and also rest in it ourselves. So maybe the, the other question there is, do you believe there is hope in the midst of such pain and destruction? So that's what we're going to run after today. So I want to take a few moments to look at just a piece of what Paul was teaching in his second letter to the Corinthian church that we have in Scripture. Part of the reason that Paul is writing this letter is in response to a perspective that was developing that his suffering that he was experiencing, the, the physical suffering of, of the afflictions that he had, the, 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 social, the social suffering that he was going through by being ostracized by the community he was once a part of, persecuted for his faith, almost killed multiple times. That There was a perspective developing that those sufferings were evidence that his claim of Jesus as the Messiah had no grounds to be true. That it could not be true. So, that's why he's writing this letter. That's why we're coming to this with some momentum of that understanding and why we want to answer these questions. So quickly, 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7 says this. 
Read it with me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How are we comforted by God? Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So just really quickly, like really quickly, what, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying? Let's just take it for the plain words that he put in front of us. Paul is saying this, that God, who is God? God is the Father of mercies, of all mercies. Who else is God? God is the God of all comfort. So we can say that if you want to cry for mercy, if you want to see mercy, if you want to to know comfort, it starts with our Heavenly Father, the Creator God. He is the God of all mercies, the God of all comfort. His comfort comes in our afflictions, not that it keeps us from them. Do you see that? It says when they come, the afflictions will come. His comfort and His grace doesn't keep us from the afflictions. It keeps us, it sustains us in them and comfort comes in them God's comforting of us makes us able to comfort others as we see in verse 4 does that stir you does that encourage you does that give you hope God's comforting of us makes us able to comfort others all of this is achieved in Jesus as we move into verse 5 as we said when we share in Christ's suffering we also share in his comfort so as he came into our field I loved how Matt Stevens closed our service last week and just as as he he was struck as he went into the homes into the to, to the mess and the filth and the heartache and the despair and went in and and and, and, and helped helped just take that from from that utter despair to to seeing progress to 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 restoration and being a part of that he saw the work of Christ that in God's love and in his grace he didn't wait for us to get pretty he didn't wait for us to get right he didn't wait for us to fix our homes like the, the people we helped yesterday just down the a couple units down they I was talking to them we went to help them move a bed and they were like yeah we're renting this place and 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 we sent an email to our owner and didn't hear from him for, for, for like five days. And then finally he responds and says, I need you to have your stuff out by this much time. And it's like, that is maybe how we think. And in, like if we see God as impersonal, as wrathful or something, that's how we would think he respond. But God saw our mess. It, the thing that he owned, that, that he was rightfully was his to, to declare how it should be, that we cause, now this is the metaphor is breaking down quickly, but uh, we didn't cause the, the, the flood to come. We couldn't. But the, in, in our own rebellion and sin, we caused the destruction in our life. God entered in. He entered in. He took on the burden. He took on the responsibility to restore us. And so Matt just painted that, that picture beautifully last week. And so to see that as we share in Christ's suffering, we lay down our lives. We enter into the need. We don't shy away. We don't demand people to, to be a certain thing or a certain way before we extend the truth and love of God and grace.
He says, when we do that, we share in his comfort. This is not just cause and effect. This is not just like, do this and you get this. Well, I do think that's part of it. It's like, hey, man, look forward to this. Know that there is, as you step into the heartache, know that there is comfort, whether it's here in this world or in eternity. But this is also an expression of your new identity in Christ, that all things are made new. You are restored, redeemed. That which you were created for is now given, now all that you are about. And so he's saying that, yes, as you share, you're actually expressing, if you share in suffering, you're expressing your identity in Christ, but also the, the, the realization of that comfort is part of your identity as well. So it's not just cause and effect, it's an expression of identity. So God takes all things, we see in verse 6, and works them for his purpose in and through our lives. All things, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. So let's just let that sink in. Let's let that now kind of find some roots that actually starts kind of, you know, having an impact on our life and maybe ask a question like, do you have this view that all things that you endure, all things that are put before you are not wasted, are for God's purpose and for your good and actually help you understand the promise of God even more? Therefore, do you see it as worth it? Is the hardship worth it to you? That in your hardship, and your suffering, that you would understand your need for God. That's what Paul is saying here. He's like, hey, this suffering is not to discount the evidence of the promise of Jesus come, but it is to, to, to reveal mine and our need for him. Is your hardship worth it that you would understand your need for God and be used to bring comfort and salvation to others? Is it worth it? Come what may. Because it is. That's the promise. Verse 7, we see that this is the source of our incorruptible hope. A hope that is very present in our experience, but rooted in eternal promise. And because it's rooted in eternal promise, our present circumstances do not affect it. Now, we ex now I don't want to take away the human factor, right? We are human. We feel it. We go up and down hills, just like I love how Dave closed, brought us into communion last week. But I love how he closed our service last week and just reminding us that, you know, we, in, in, in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we have this trajectory of being transformed and made, being made more like him as he works in us. But yet we have these ups and downs. And so I don't want to take away the human experience, but as, as you are brought to that place of breaking, that in that moment, as opposed to despair, and but it awakens you. This is exactly what Paul is saying, that it awakens you to the reality of God's love and his grace and his comfort and our need for him and our opportunity in him. All things are under God's sovereign care and rule and will be for his glory and the ultimate good of you and me and all of creation. That is what is at play. That's the view. That's the framework in which we see our world. So Paul is seeing the entire timeline of our history and our future all at one time. He's seeing that God created all things in love for his glory. He's seeing that in sin, in, in choosing rebellion, we sinned and all of relationship was fractured, right? Man and God, man and creation, man and each other. And he saw the great need. He saw that God in his great love set forth the work of redemption in Christ. Christ come, the Messiah, to take on the sins of the world to, to take on the wrath that we deserve so that we could be made new and redeemed in him, restored. And he saw that there is an ultimate hope when there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. 
So Paul is seeing all this. And he's seeing that all this is a work to awaken the world to this reality. You think about, just, I skipped over thinking about the cause of the state of the world. And, you know, we ask, why does this happen? Did God cause this to happen? No, again, it was our sin that caused this to happen. All of creation is fallen. That's what we are experiencing. It's not that God is, is wrathful and that he's, he, he, is, he is just and he is working to restore a world that is falling. Romans 8.23 says that we and creation are groaning. We are groaning under the weight of what is not right that God is working to make right in Christ. And so what we see that God in His grace is sustaining and using the fallenness of the world to call people to Him. And then again, the ultimate hope, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek, that means to everyone. So again, if we want hope, if we want salvation, the gospel, when it says the gospel, that's Jesus starts with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus, and Jesus is everything in between. And I know that sounds like a bunch of platitudes, but it's the truth, and that's what we get to dig in and pursue, exactly how that works in our lives. So in case all of this isn't clear enough, Paul makes this reality and expectation inescapable in verses 8 through 10, kind of starting with the second half of verse 8. It says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you seen this in these last few weeks? Have you felt it? In your life, indeed, we felt that we, had, that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So Paul follows this with one of the most important ways that we can help those who are suffering. Look in verse 11. You also must help us by what? Prayer. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So today, we must pray. And that's what we're going to do in just a moment. And the question, do, do we believe that God works in, this, in these kind of supernatural ways in the world? Do we believe that God is at work in supernatural ways in this world? Do we believe it? Do you believe it? We've been working with our hands a lot in these last few weeks. We've been doing it to help those that, that have been impacted by Harvey. Every time we go out to, to work, we stop and we pray. We pray that God would take the work of our hands and use it to work in his spiritual way in all the hearts involved. We want to help in tangible ways. We want to come alongside someone and provide for their need. And, and, and we, we do it with a sense of readiness of to, to actually proclaim the hope we have in Christ. But we also pray that as the body of Christ goes and holds out the light of Christ, the love of God, with the work and sweat of our hands and our backs, that God in a supernatural way would penetrate hearts and reveal the reality that He is good, that He is love, and in that work, he, he did it in Christ. And so we, we've been praying that. So do we believe that God is working through us in supernatural ways? Do we believe that we are empowered to work that way? Do we believe that our work is for naught unless he works in a supernatural way? One commentator wrote about Paul's exhortation here in this to, to prayer in verse 11. They said that the Corinthian Christians' prayers could affect Paul's work and that God's ultimate glory through the work was his goal presupposes a radical trust in God's activity in the world. I pray that today 
that we continue to grow in this posture of radical trust. As we said a couple weeks ago, when the houses are restored and, and life is back to normal, the need does not change. The urgency is no different. And I pray that what this does is just locks us into this posture of awareness, locks us into a biblical worldview, a worldview in which God is real, that he is love, he created all things for his glory. There is a fallenness, a fracture. He is restoring things in Christ. We are his people. The image of Christ in this world is the church meant to call people unto him that we would not change, that we would go through every day with the exact same urgency to our workplaces, to our neighbors, to our nights out, to, to our opportunities of serving, that it doesn't change. I'm thankful that we have this focal point. I pray that it locks us into this reality. So today we're going to take time to pray.